You're listening to Secrets of Data Analytics Leaders. We've got so many dimensions that are going out. We can scale this out across our entire platform and then focus on the anomalies that are coming through rather than digging through everything and looking for that anomaly. So essentially, it gives us that um, that needle in the haystack where we can start analyzing. Hello, everyone. I'm Wayne Eckerson, host of the Secrets of Data Analytics podcast, which surfaces the tips, tricks, and techniques of leading practitioners in the data analytics field. Joining me today is Rich Gallen, a veteran data analytics leader with 20 years of experience in a variety of data-driven organizations. He is passionate about driving data analytics innovation through the use of real-time data, anomaly detection, and artificial intelligence, among other things. He's grown several data analytics teams from infancy to full maturity, delivering insights via web, mobile, video, and real-time platforms. He is currently an independent BI data and analytics consultant, but working exclusively at the Rubicon Project, an ad tech company. Welcome to the show, Rich. Hey, Wayne. Thanks for having me. Excited to have this conversation with you. Yeah, me too. Uh, Our topic today uh, is real-time analytics. Uh, an area that you've spent a lot of time in, uh, and you've led data analytics teams in the past and done data analysis yourself, Uh, what would you say are the major obstacles to delivering timely, insightful analysis to the business? Well, I I think initially you need to start off depending on your setup. So obstacles come into play when you don't have accessibility to the data. I mean, that's core to just about any business. So having that accessibility is key uh, and not having it siloed into different organizations. So as an analyst, uh, depending on what side of the business you're on, uh, if you're an engineering, it's pretty easy uh, to get kind of access to all that data. But if you sit on business side, sometimes you get you know, siloed into, hey, you're the business guy, it's harder to get the information, it's going to take some time. Um, you know, being able to kind of display uh, your acumen to getting at that data uh, is really key uh, in, in accessing it. I think, you know, another, another big, huge hurdle that I've seen in the past is, is having correct definitions and agreeing on specific metrics. That's also... Uh, an issue that I've seen before, specifically in ad tech industry, because there's so many acronyms and depending on which side of the ecosystem you sit, uh, in one metric could mean the same as another metric, completely different names and, and you spin around and not agree on, on how the metrics are are uh, defined. So definitions are really key in that. Um, you also have to be able to tie all the analysis to something that is tangible for the business, otherwise nobody really cares. So, for example, if you can show like a half a percent lift in a metric has a huge impact to your bottom line, then you can get folks to rally around that and improve it. So that's really key, I think. Um, you know, every business is really distilled into three key metrics that make up revenue, let's say. You know, volume, price, and conversion are, the, are three metrics that you can apply to just about any business. Uh, and each one of these probably has multiple metrics that drive each of them operationally. So finding those levers and focusing on those is very important, I think, um, and getting the, the business to rally around that. Uh, that's, the, that's the biggest 
uh, obstacle that you have around delivering timely and uh, data is being a being able to get to it and uh, also being able to uh, make sure that all the, the metrics are measured correctly. Yeah, that's that's great, uh, especially getting the business to rally around uh, the metrics and, and showing that this data can have real power. What additional problems does the velocity and scale of data in this space create for doing analytics? Uh, I would say the volume of dimensions, uh, specifically for for us in the ad tech space, you know, we run our own cloud at Rubicon, um, which means we don't run most of our infrastructure on uh, a cloud service like AWS or, or Azure or something like that. So you know, we measure at the core, which multiplies the number of dimensions. So you think about it, you have machines uh, across your, your cloud that roll up into clusters, that roll up into data centers. And then on top of that, you have different products, clients, platform types, uh, ad types, et cetera. So the scale gets really, really big, um, depending on how you want to slice the data and how you want to look at it. Uh, so having all of those dimensions just creates giant, giant scale. I mean, there's, there's other factors like different seasonalities and uh, within time zones that change depending on what region globally you are. So I think machine learning allows us to adjust models on the fly uh, through essentially artificial intelligence to incorporate any new seasonal patterns that a static threshold can't do. Uh, so having that scale of dimensions and then again, back to the earlier question of how do you really wanna look at this and what drives your business? Whether it's you, know, you have a huge implementation in Asia uh, or a small implementation in Asia, do you really, how much do you care about really looking at that and how much does that affect your bottom line overall? Or is it something that's growing substantially? Same thing goes with any products or clients, et cetera. So things can get very, very noisy uh, if you're not careful with how you wanna analyze your business. Um, I think starting at the very top and kind of top down approach uh, helps you kind of wrap your head around things uh, more easily because it, it the scale can run away from you pretty quickly. Right, so you say you've got basically really wide data. Uh, you've got very seasonal data. And I assume you also have very deep data. In other words, lots of lots and lots of data. So the <laughs> uh, triple whammy, so yeah. to speak. Yeah, exactly. Just to give you an idea, we're running in the uh, high double digit billion impressions per day. So it's, um, it's a lot of data that's just coming through and that's, that's just on the impression side. Uh, when you send that out to multiple bidders, then you're, you know, you're, you're 10, 20 Xing your, your requests that are coming back. So, um, you know, we're in the trillions uh, at this point. So uh, it's a lot of data to consume. All right, so I, I have to ask then, well, <laughs> how do you analyze all that data? What are some of the solutions you've implemented to optimize insights from all this high velocity, wide, deep data in an yes. operational setting? I assume there's also two audiences for this, you, you know, uh, your company internally, but also all of your, your customers and ad tech uh, buyers and things. Absolutely, absolutely. So <clears throat> there's actually multiple internal customers on top of that. So 
Um, I think historically, and this happens, you know, this, this actually functions with a lot of companies like this. Um, you know, you end up creating static thresholds historically and manually. Uh, and those tend not to work for very long unless you're looking at very binary signals. Um, is a machine up or is it down? Right? Is a data center running or is it not running? Those are simple kind of binary things that, that you can you can easily implement uh, using some of the tools that are already out there. Um, <clears throat> for us, what we really needed to look at is more on the business level of how these clients, how these systems are performing uh, with those non-static thresholds and something that could be scalable. So you could easily, you know, uh, create tiers of metrics like your top X, you know, bringing in the 80-20 rule and saying, here's 80% of my traffic, my volume, or here's 80% of my revenue. Let me focus on that and see, um, you know, where that's driving the most. And then creating indexes on top of that. So think of like the S&P 500. Looking at things with an index helps you kind of gauge, are we in plan or are we not? So what we did was, um, you know, it was great to get these signals, uh, these binary signals, but what we really needed was more business level signals. So just to give you an idea, you know, when you're looking at batch processing and even real time analysis, um, if you're aggregating at a very high level, let's just say at a client level uh, or a data center level, and one specific client is off their normal trend by let's say 20%, if that's your top client, uh, it might have a pretty big impact on your bottom line. Um, and you might, as an analyst, waiting on batch processes to, to run overnight, uh, getting in the next day, kind of sorting through all the data, trying to figure out, you might see a little blip in your numbers. Um, that might take a couple days to figure out uh, as an analyst and you know, diving through all this data and trying to correlate that to other metrics, et cetera. Um, that wasn't helpful for us. So we, we engaged a third-party uh, tool called Anadot uh, they do anomaly detection at scale on the business side. So essentially what ends up happening is we pipe them data every minute uh, through our data centers. And then they run, they have machine learning models that run all of that data um, through AI and kind of create their own seasonality over time. And the more data they get, the more they can go from there. And then we can kind of adjust how that baseline works uh, and get our sensitivity around where we want to um, capture any anomalies. So essentially, if a if that one partner, like I explained before, was off their normal baseline by 20% for more than a specific time, let's just say an hour, that could be something that we could get an alert on right away being able to go reach it back out to the customer and say, hey, look, something looks funky in this data center. Are you guys doing something um, on your end? Everything looks fine on our end. Uh, can you maybe explain what's happening so that there isn't a problem? And sometimes it's you know re relaying back to the customer saying, oh, we just did uh, a code release. We didn't realize it wasn't affecting this data center on your side. It works fine on our partners. Let's go back and look at it. So. Um, being able to kind of send that off at scale, which means 
back to that earlier dimension, we've got so many dimensions that are going out. We can scale this out across our entire platform and then focus on the anomalies that are coming through rather than digging through everything and looking for that anomaly. So essentially it, it gives us that, um, that needle in the haystack where we can start analyzing from there. So that's been so. So this solves the problem of your wide and deep data that you can't possibly, you know, with just a bunch of data analysts, uh, you know, sort through or sift through all the intersections of all those dimensions and metrics and, and find that needle in the haystack. So now you've uh, used this tool, which uses machine learning and real-time processing to kind of tackle the intersection of all the metrics and dimensions. I mean, what, 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 how many metrics are we talking about total? Can this tool you know, track on a day-to-day -day basis? They can, they can track millions, uh, millions, of millions. Wow. Yeah, literally, literally. So, uh, we're sending about a little over a hundred thousand to them, uh, every minute. Uh, and that's going to scale out. That's just on the business side. We're going to scale this out to the operational metrics, which means, um, you know, business level metrics are more like, how is this customer doing? Uh, and here's the revenue based off of that. Uh, we're gonna scale this off to operational metrics, which says, you know, how is this data center running? Or if we have code pushes, um, we do, essentially we do burn-ins on code pushes. So if you think back to what I mentioned before, stack, you have machines that live inside of clusters or racks that live inside of a data center. When we do code pushes, we push out um, on a machine and say, okay, this code looks fine on this machine. Now scale it out to the next 10 machines. Okay, looks fine. Scale it out to the cluster. looks fine. Scale it out to the data center. And then uh, if for whatever reason the code gets pushed and you know it's not monitored at that point, up until that point, it's, it's visually monitored by a human and then it could go out and then go to a data center and then everything looks fine. And in the middle of the night, it might crash for whatever reason. We could get alerted on that or even at the, at the, um, the node level, the machine level, we could get alerted on that, that something happened. And then rather than wait till the next day for, you know, engineers to pick back up, uh, we can get alerted in the middle of the night that could send an alert directly to either Slack or, um, Pager duty, which pages somebody and wakes up in the middle of the night. So it's it's kind of throwing machines at these problems or potential problems, rather than having humans stay up all night and kind of do the work. Yeah. So you said you send a hundred thousand per second or per minute. Hundred thousand what? Metrics. Metrics or events? Metrics. Or is that the same thing? Metrics. Yeah. Okay. Well, the way the way we capture a metric is. Um, you know, people think of a metric as revenue. In this case, a metric is every um, every different combination of revenue. So you could have all the dimensions. Uh, is think of it as like a line in a spreadsheet. If you have all the different uh, columns going across, that's one metric. So you could have revenue by minute for this client. Uh, client A and uh, data center B, and then that's one metric. And then the next metric would be revenue for client B, data center C, et cetera. So it's it's every combination of those metrics that are going off to that is included as a metric. 
if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So this is, uh, you're streaming this data directly to Anadot, which is a SaaS service in the cloud, right? Correct, correct. Okay. Yeah. So we basically carve off at the data center level on the edge, we carve off um, when we make a call and it comes through, it, it carves off you know, one relay off to them and one relay to us. Yeah, I've met with uh, that company, Anadot, and I thought uh, they've got, they're have they on to something there. Uh, they started out doing anomaly detection, and now I think they've got this uh, vision of uh, autonomous analytics and decision-making. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the nice thing about them, and, and I think it's about it's been about three years now that we've been with them, um, I ended up finding them and did kind of a bake-off with a couple other companies, and they were the clear winner because... For us, it was more about um, very simple business metrics uh, instead of, you know, having a data scientist kind of run a application and have somebody dedicated to that. This made it very simple, uh, very simple UI. I mean, simple as can be <laughs> when it comes to anomaly detection, but uh, a simple UI uh, that, you know, any non-data science type person could actually figure out pretty quickly so yeah one of the things i'm seeing uh come to the fore in our industry is the whole time series analytics it's always been there <laughs> we've always done time series analysis mm -hmm. but not necessarily at scale and uh this anadot is a, it's a pretty cool tool I, i've asked a, a number of people about it and no one's heard of it so maybe, maybe this podcast will change <laughs> that situation but obviously you've used them very effectively yeah. and i think because they monitor business metrics like revenue, right, per customer right. at real time across all, you know, intersections of, of, of your dimensions and all levels in the hierarchy, it's it's very powerful. Yeah, I mean, they're growing very, very fast. Uh, and I'm pretty proud of them for, for doing that. They've, they've picked up some very heavy clients and, and I think everybody's very happy with them. Uh, I know I have been, so. Um, so let me ask you, these kinds of solutions, in some ways, if you kind of uh, roll this forward, maybe this replaces traditional BI and data warehousing tools. Uh, if it can monitor all of your metrics instead of just a handful that you put into an executive dashboard and update once a day or once a week, once a month, what's the value in that when you can monitor all of them in real time? Right. So does it do these... This type of solution replace what you've already got, or does it complement it? No, I think for just speaking about Anadot itself, I think it definitely complements it. I, it's not a replacement, at least not where they are right now. Um, you know, its its primary use is for anomaly detection, uh, not necessarily BI and data warehousing. Uh, you know, it, it's essentially that one tool that you're you're using BI for uh, that BI, traditional BI tools don't necessarily have. It's, it's that human element to it. Uh, it's almost, you know, I always say that, that there is art to this science, um, meaning that you, know, you could get an alert, but you still have to kind of dive into it and look at it as a human and say, does this look right? Is it too noisy? Is it not noisy enough? And then you, there's a lot of calibration that has to happen as well. You have to kind of stay on top of it um, but it allows you to scale it out pretty quickly. I mean, I think what they're also doing is, is um, working on a prediction uh, model. 
So not just, you know, anomaly detection is, even though it's in real time, it's essentially historical. Um, you know, prediction modeling is going to be key uh, going forward. So not only this is what happened, but this is what we expect to happen, you know, in the future. Uh, right. I think they're also working on, you know, here's the anomaly and here's also what caused it yep. using machine learning. And then here's how you should fix it and maybe even trigger a transaction to yeah. <laughs> Uh, to update a machine or something like that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the feedback loop is really great in machine learning. I mean, I think once you get it, once you get a model down pretty good, you can create a feedback loop that that actually builds back into the system uh, and and actually makes it better. Right. I mean, that's the whole point of machine learning is it learns based off of your outputs uh, and then takes those outputs and creates inputs back into the model. So I think that's really key. Um, you know, you touched on correlation, which, you know, their system uses really well. And I think anybody who's doing analysis should always correlate, right? It's, it's kind of the key. Um, their, their system has helped with correlating those anomalies. So not only are you getting an anomaly, which is safe for revenue, um, you have an anomaly, not as an example, you have an anomaly for revenue. Uh, okay, great. Thanks. It's for this client. Why did revenue drop? That's always the biggest key. It's like, okay, we noticed that it dropped, but why? Uh, this could tell us that uh, it was because we didn't get volume for, from a specific publisher, as an example, or that the CPM or the price uh, was lower than what expected, and that's what's driving it. Um, or your conversion rates. Conversion rates are down. Um, any one of those models. So that helps a lot is the correlating because not only is it giving you that signal and finding that needle in the haystack, it's also helping you figure out why that's, that's broken. And I think that's where it really complements BI tools is again, using that analogy of finding the needle in the haystack, it says, here's your problem. Now go find out what uh, the actual problem is and how is it affecting everything else? And that's where it kind of comes in. Uh, to complement traditional BI tools. Uh, it helps the analysts kind of start their day. Okay, so it, it gives them a starting point for their analysis instead of having to come up with a hypothesis and then dig into the data and realize, oh, that, that, that was not a correct, correct hypothesis and I went down a dead end. Uh, the correlation generated by the machine can kind of give them a head start, right. point them in the right direction. But still, I'd have to ask if the machine can do the correlation and it can actually do some of the remediation <laughs> based on historical fixes, right? right? And it can do the prediction to be able to uh, identify what might happen and avoid it. And, and even the optimization, which would be, all right, uh, you know, how, how do we uh, really optimize this process? <laughs> What's left for the analyst to do, right? I mean, uh, and... Uh, it makes you wonder, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, I think we've, we're pretty far along in this, but I think we're very much still in the infancy phases of, of machine learning and, and AI and how, how this can potentially take over somebody's job as you know, everybody's afraid of. Um, you know, again, there's still some art to the science. There are false positives that come through and we have to, uh, actually look as humans and see and understand your business model and, and essentially your gut, 
Like is if you understand your business model really well, you've been in the company for a while, you understand how it works. Sometimes, you know, you have anomalies on your anomaly, right? So um, if you think of a, a distribution curve, you know, you could be really far off and that could be very wide. So uh, math is great, but sometimes, you know, it's, it's a little wonky. So uh, I, I still think we're, we're early uh, with actual, you know, full autonomous machine taking over analysis. Uh, but I think a lot of companies are, are doing a pretty good job of, of you know, looking at and, and having their machines kind of relearn uh, on the edge. So. We had we had another guest uh, earlier this year, Jeff Magnuson of Stitch Fix, and that company, which is in some ways a spinoff of Netflix, a lot of the same people came from Netflix and applied that model to uh, women's apparel. Um, they they use algorithms to make operational decisions, and originally they had humans do it, and then they had humans validate the machines, and then they just got the humans out of the mix because they realized the machines were so much better at it than the humans. Now, granted, this wasn't for customer-facing decisions, and it was for operational, routine, more routine um, decisions that had a, a lot of history to them. But uh, you know, for certain types of decisions, they're allowing the machines to to make them. Um, so yeah, I think I you know you kind of can see the writing on the wall <laughs> a little bit of where things are headed, uh, but. We have to be careful, as you mentioned. Uh, a lot of this um, uh, anomaly detection reminds me of, uh, and the use of machine learning to kind of automatically generate correlations reminds me of the days of alerts when they first came out in the BI space. Everyone was very excited. You know, why not send people alert instead of forcing them to go to a dashboard and look for what's changed? Uh, but the problem was that. You know, there's so many irrelevant and inaccurate alerts that people just turn them off because it was just noise after a while. And I do worry that might happen here. And as you said, you have to calibrate uh, this uh, tool to make sure that the things it's detecting and the alerts it sends are relevant and accurate. Yeah, I mean, we're still having those issues, right? And I think we're going to have those for a while um, where it differentiates itself is, um, you know, rather than have a whole bunch of alerts carved out for different business units, you now have a handful of them um, where you don't need as many analysts to kind of go into it. So I think, I think where analysts kind of come into play is, is that is essentially that downstream analysis of here's a problem, go figure out what it is. Um, initial discovery. I, I don't think you're going to be able to, um, kind of sum up everything in a machine, at least not now, maybe in the, in the near future, uh, as things kind of progress in this field. So. Well, let me ask you one last question, which is as a longtime analyst who has built BI systems, you have a unique vantage point in the industry. So uh, we've touched on this a little bit, but where do you think BI uh, as a discipline is headed? Yeah, I mean, we, we've, you know, this is something I've been really interested in, and and I think um, you know, depending on how businesses run these days, I think obviously real time analysis and streaming is is really key. 
we're seeing just an influx of data coming to everyone in every company that streaming allows you to kind of sample on the edge uh, of your systems in real time rather than waiting for batch processes to run through a data pipeline you can sample data uh, immediately and make decisions uh, even if it's a day late you can still make decisions you know coming in and, and not have to wait and be stuck for multiple day lags which could essentially be too late um, so I, I think that's really key streaming I mean think about all the you know, IOT things that are out there today, what's happening on your phone, autonomous vehicles, like all that needs to be streaming real time, makes, uh, has to make real quick uh, decisions on what's happening, uh, not just with the sheer volume, but also with speed. I think, uh, you know, high frequency, low latency is, is gonna be uh, pretty much the norm going forward uh, for some time. You know, I also see you know, more and better prediction models. You know, these, these have been around for a while, but as machine learning and AI get better, then these predictions can be more tight, like we talked about before. You know, as things progress and as machines start learning a little bit more and as we get a little bit more advanced, um, they'll be able to make those, those uh, decisions, um, you know, a lot better. You know, and again, I believe right now it's very difficult to analyze everything you know, back to that, that point is, you know, you need to stick to that 80, 20 rule and, and get the machines to start the analysis and then dive deeper from there. So, um, I, I think that's where we're heading as far as those tools go. Uh, and we can kind of see it in all the data pipelines now with things like spark streaming, Kafka being really big, uh, you know, five years ago, we were, we were all talking about, you know, big data, but that's essentially just your store at this point. Now we have to get data into the big data systems and store from there. So there's there's some industries and applications. You mentioned a few, you know, IoT, autonomous cars, mobile, where streaming and analytics on a stream makes a lot of sense. But for many organizations that may not be as fast paced as ad tech or others, would you suggest a streaming first strategy? Uh, I still, I still think it. I believe it applies uh, just because of volume of data. So if you're talking about a very small mom and pop kind of website, then probably not. You know, you can stick to the traditional, um, uh, you know, data pipeline, data collection. But even with somebody who isn't necessarily looking for real time analysis. I think the streaming platforms help with data collection and data processing because just the sheer volume of data could take you a day or two or three days to actually process that uh, depending on how big you are through your system. Streaming allows you to kind of, like I said, sample at the edge, get some, some quick data as your, as your batch processes are still running uh, to kind of do an analysis because if, if you're getting the sheer volume of data um, it's going to still take time to process all that data. So. so are you sampling at Rubicon or are you, are you just analyzing all of it as it comes? We're doing both, right? So we're, we're sampling on the edge. Uh, we're also, um, aggregating on the edge, which means if we, you know, we, we tend to run out of space sometimes just because of the sheer volume. So what we'll do is we'll, in real time, we'll aggregate like a metric that we, quote unquote, don't think is as important as another one. Um, 
and we'll aggregate that, keep it, store it, and then uh, the actual raw data gets, you know, filtered out essentially because it's it's too much to store. So we'll aggregate and um, and use that number as you know aggregation, and then uh, we'll also sample uh, in real time depending on you know what we're doing. So we kind of do it all. We'll do we do batch processing, we do aggregations, we do sampling as well. And so the 80-20 you mentioned, just to be clear, that 80, you're still making choices about what you are going to monitor in real time or sample in real time and and take your bets that the other 20% is less um, impactful. Correct. I mean, I think it's, I... It's, more about, it's more about timing and resources. So um, we do definitely monitor the, on the 80-20 rule. We, we monitor on a 100% rule as well now that we have some of these things in place. So if, if our tail is, um, is expanding, then we can most certainly dive into that a little bit more. And sometimes, you know, you, you want to lift that 20% um, to make it you know, part of the overall pie that's, that's better for the business. So uh, right. I think if you're... If you're strapped with resources, you're strapped with not being able to get a data quickly, not able to make decisions. I think the eighty twenty rule always applies. Uh, it's a good um, it's a good indicator of how how the health of your business is going. But again, depending on your business model, um, you, know, you might want to look at it all. So, well, Rich, thank you so much for coming out today and and talking to us about real time analytics. I think it's been highly insightful. Definitely. Thanks, Wayne. It's been awesome. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe. If you want more content from business intelligence to data management to data science, browse to the Eckerson Group website at eckerson.com.